The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The negotiations now are underway to finish up the appropriation bill so there's no government shutdown. Vaccine mandates are much easier to do at the state level than at the federal level. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We've seen some damage to the credibility on how poorly the U.S. did predicting that Taliban takeover. The country has moved from a weariness with COVID to a resignation and that somehow we're going to get through it. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Another name is fed to the news media, giving us a better sense of President Biden's vision for the Federal Reserve. There's new talk of COVID relief for small business on Capitol Hill as the variant rips through the workforce. And Washington now prepares to mark one year since the attack on the U.S. Capitol. Welcome to Wednesday and the fastest hour in politics. We'll have the latest on Fed appointments and we'll discuss their chances with Joe Lavornia, chief economist for the Americas at Natixis, former chief economist on the National Economic Council. He's a man who's been there. And later, our conversation with Senator Ben Cardin, Democrat from Maryland, now under a state of emergency thanks to Omicron. Cardin was on the Senate floor when rioters breached the Capitol a year ago tomorrow. We'll talk to him about it. And we have the signature panel today. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are here for the hour. Yeah, it was a day. Fed had a lot to do with it, as you just heard from Charlie Pellet. And if you listen to Bloomberg Radio, you know the short list already. Reports would suggest the White House now is about ready to make some announcements to fill the three remaining empty seats on the Federal Reserve. Bloomberg now reporting former Fed Governor Sarah Bloom Raskin is a leading contender for the supervisory role. We already told you this week about Philip Jefferson. That broke during the broadcast on Monday. Would be only the fourth black man to be a Fed governor in over 100 years. And now the Washington Post is reporting that economist Lisa Cook seeing that name on the short list will be named to the remaining seat. So that would be the three, okay, potentially fulfilling the vision that President Biden described. Gosh, it was before Thanksgiving, late November, when he announced nominations for Jay Powell and Lael Brainerd to their posts. This was Joe Biden on that day. While Jay and Lael bring continuity and stability to the Fed, my additions will bring new perspectives and new voices. I also pledge that my additions will bring new diversity to the Fed. These three, Bloom, Raskin, Jefferson, and Cook, would make good on that view. And they have been in the mix since the start. If you watch the story going back, they've been on a lot of short lists suggesting that lawmakers have had time, or at least their staff have had time to consider how confirmation hearings might go. And that's where we want to start with Joe Lavornia, chief economist of the Americas at Natixis, former chief economist on the White House National Economic Council. It's great to have you back, Joe. We reviewed these three names, among others, last week when we talked about this, and I'd like to pick through them a little bit with you here. Sarah Bloom Raskin is the big one, right? That's the nod yeah. to Elizabeth Warren. Other progressives want to see the Fed lean into climate change. Can she be confirmed? Oh, I, well, yes, I would say that, the, I mean, the, um, 
the the Democrats uh, have the have the votes if uh, the vice president casts a deciding vote. I don't necessarily think it'll come to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah, the fact that she was a Fed governor is going to help. Uh, the fact that she might have going a little bit much more to the progressive side will hurt perhaps some of the more center center leading uh senators on both sides of the aisle but but my guess is she'll be confirmed how about the other two names we had spoken about lisa cook we we got uh jefferson uh dropped just what was monday i guess it was two days ago as uh, philip jefferson was reported by bloomberg uh, to be the, the the third name is is this kind of the picture that you had in mind joe when when the president was talking about this in November, I guess sort of. I mean, I'm kind of an optimist, and I, you know, you do need different voices and views and people with different perspectives. Uh, I've been arguing. I just would like to see the the administration pick more people from industry. I feel as if we have too many um, public sector or academicians on the board. This is a criticism, by the way. I level I've leveled against the Fed for for, you know, for a long time. This isn't specific to the Biden administration. Yeah, understood. I, I just wish the, there, there was more private sector experience. I mean, you certainly could find people on the private sector that have a similar viewpoint or similar thought process to what the administration wants to have happen. I will say on the climate change, that to me seems like it's really best left not to the central bank. Uh, I was always taught, and I still believe this truly to be the case, that monetary policy is a very blunt tool. And when the Fed goes past its mandate, it really is going to be difficult to uh, to, to affect the change that you want to have happen. And you lose credibility in the process. So, well, it looks like we're so going there, Joe. So what is that? What does that world yeah. look like now that you know uh, some names here, and specifically Sarah Bloom Raskin in the supervisory role. What does that mean for banks in the future? Yeah, I mean, look, the the it, certainly it's going to be a much less of a light touch. It's going to be a more heavy-handed regulatory approach. But here's the key thing: uh, Jay Powell has uh, has talked. He's addressed the issue of climate and to the extent the Fed could be involved in, in helping the matter. The Fed will be. Leo Brainer, who had that role, works very closely with Jay and. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they, by all accounts, work very well together. So I think those are sort of the two key people. And uh, and Sarah, having been there before, knows how the institution works. The others will come in, and there's probably going to be a bit of a learning curve. But, look, the committee definitely will be more dovish. But until they're there and start voting, it's really hard to say what they're going to do. But my guess is they will be more dovish, meaning they're not going to be hawks on interest rates. That's right. For sure. Well, that's I guess that's the next question here, as we see minutes today suggesting that, uh, you know, some uh, members of the Fed wanted to see more uh, hikes sooner. If, if you step back and look at this, I'm, if I'm reading you right, you think Lisa Cook and Philip Jefferson also are confirmed uh, because Democrats will do what they need to do to make this happen. If that's the way this panel looks, that's the team the president is putting in place here to fight inflation, which I keep hearing is the number one issue for voters in the midterm election year. So how does that come out on the other end? So I have a very different non-consensus view. I mean, inflation's a problem and the price level will stay high, mm-hmm. meaning inflation's not, we're not going to have prices go negative. But what it means is if the economy is as soft as I expect it will be this year, so the Fed sees GDP at four. My best guess is it's two. Inflation is not going to be a problem. Because mm. People are going to be more worried about the job market and the lack of income growth. Inflation okay. will moderate. And it's that type of backdrop where I just don't see the Fed being able to be aggressive and think the Fed actually will, will, not, will not raise rates this year because of the payback and growth, if you will, from what was an artificial 
but strong 2021. The perception being reality in politics, then the Federal Reserve gets credit for beating inflation, right? Does that end up being a claim that Joe Biden makes late this year? Uh, the problem with the, I mean, the Fed, the irony is the Fed, the Powell pivot occurred probably right as inflation's peaking. So I'm not yeah. really sure the Fed's going to get a lot of credit for it. In the bond market, you know, interest long rates are still very low. The yield curve until very recently has been flattening. The dollar's strong. Gold is weak. It really isn't an inflation credibility problem in the market. The market thinks the Fed is going to be too aggressive. And honestly, based on today's <laughs> minutes, yeah. if the Fed goes this route of balance sheet reduction in addition to rate hikes, we're going to have a very tough year for risky assets. Joe LaFornia, you talk about a, a potential a downturn or continued weakness, at least in the labor market, as we look into next year. There's talk now on Capitol Hill about another relief bill. This would be aimed specifically at small business and even more specifically at the restaurant industry. In a lot of instances, restaurants that never got the funding they, they were due or promised at least uh, last March. Is the time right for that? Can that pass Capitol Hill? I'm not sure. I mean, I think there were issues in the past about a certain. I think the, one of the reasons why it didn't pass is there was like preferential treatment for certain types of businesses within the restaurant space. I mean, look, it seems to me that this was really partly about the medicine catching up with the virus. And hopefully, as we maybe soon enter into an endemic phase from the pandemic phase, yeah. that will do more than anything in terms of getting the economy more operational and getting people less worried about getting sick and all the negative things that could come with that. Well, you've got a D and an R here, Senator Ben Cardin, who's going to join us uh, at the bottom of this hour. Democrat from Maryland, along with Roger Wicker, Republican from Mississippi, are talking about this $68 billion. If it's not that, Joe, is there a move on Capitol Hill, especially if Build Back Better doesn't seem to be going anywhere, to get some other round of stimulus going to workers or to employers if, if Omicron continues yeah, to go in this direction? I don't think we need we, we I don't think we need any more stimulus. I didn't think we needed the stimulus last year, and I think the stimulus last year is the reason why the the inflation rate rate went up so much. And the fact that we're going to have a pull forward in growth is going to mm-hmm. be a reason why the economy is going to be a lot weaker this year. What troubles me, but it's not going to happen, is I just don't think some of the things the administration is doing make sense. You know, looking into you know price gouging on energy or price gouging for lack of a better term, with the meat industry that the Wall Street Journal ran a piece on earlier this week. I mean, yeah. there, there are supply disruptions, some of which we can't deal with, we, we can't help to deal with because it's coming from Asia. Places like China have, have had a zero COVID policy, so that's caused some strains in the system. But certainly over-regulating and blaming business for things that are outside their control doesn't help. So I would pursue a much more pro-growth practical approach yeah. to these issues. We talked about the attack on big protein we talked about the attack on big protein here on the broadcast earlier uh, this week, Joe, which I say a tongue firmly planted in cheek. But this has become a series of events, a series of announcements from this White House trying to get their arms around inflation that industry keeps turning back to say, no, it's called a labor shortage. It's called COVID. You're Joe right. Lavornia saying that that's going to work itself out toward the end of this year. Well, I mean, look, he, uh, Larry Summers, who you know, I don't agree with everything Larry says by any <laughs> I bet means, you but don't. Larry even... Larry even mentioned that uh, recently that, you know, using the FTC as yeah. a way to fight inflation is insane. Joe LaVornia, Natixis, Chief Economist of the Americas. Joe, it's great to have you back. Always wish we had more time. And we assemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie with us for the hour, only on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha 
for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. I want to be clear about the open seats on the Federal Reserve we were just talking about with Joe Lavornia. These have not been announced yet. This is sourced reporting from Bloomberg News and some others. And, well, we're now halfway through the week. Tomorrow is January 6th. I'm assuming we're not getting announcements then. So maybe something official on Friday. Maybe we wait another week. Let's ask Rick and Jeannie. As we turn to the panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Uh, We're not going to spend too much time on this today, Jeannie, and we will eventually get a real announcement. But I wonder if Sarah Bloom Raskin rounds out the trio here that we envisioned when we talked about this last week. Is this going to work for the Biden administration and its future Fed? It really does match and meet what the president promised. I mean, he talked about the continuity with his first two announcements, and these three, he talked about diversity of opinion and perspective and Mm -hmm. diversity in terms of race and ethnicity and gender. So he is doing what he said. I thought the conversation with Joe was fascinating because the point he raised about whether the Fed is going past its mandate on things like potentially climate change, I think there and I hope there's a robust conversation about that if somebody like Raskin, who is a great nominee, but if she's indeed named, if they have, you know, a real robust conversation about what the mandate of the Fed should be vis-a-vis something like climate change. Well, that's what confirmation hearings are for, right, Rick? We see uh, Sherrod Brown, the chair of Senate Banking Committee, says he expects an announcement Next couple of days, he called the pick terrific on regulation and on climate change. You're assuming all these pass, Rick Davis? Yeah, I think that uh, generally speaking, they're going to they're going to pass the threshold of what the Democrats want. Uh, I, I think you could have some issues with Manchin over the climate uh, mandate and what that means. And uh, I'm sure he'll elicit as many commitments as he can that mm-hmm. uh, any discussion about climate doesn't include coal, <laughs> which is crazy. But um, yeah, I think that this administration <laughs> has the votes to get it passed as long as they don't have any uh, Democrats that uh, flee on them. And I can't imagine these are the the people that they're going to have problems with. I suspect an announcement, Rick, you've been down this road before. You can't, you're not going to do that the 6th of January with everything happening tomorrow. And you probably don't want to bury it on a Friday. When do we hear about these finally? I've quit uh, prognosticating on uh, Biden administration uh, appointments. This (laughs) this was supposed to be done two months ago. uh, And I would have looked pretty foolish kicking it week after week after week. So, uh, Joe, I'm just not going to take the bait on that one. Does it matter, Jeannie, when this uh, is made official? Wall Street would kind of like to know. Gosh, I hope it's soon. It's, it's been a long time coming. And as you mentioned, Sherrod Brown said he said the next couple of days. But to yeah. your point, you can't do it January 6th. Really, at least you shouldn't. And on Friday, those used to be quiet news days, maybe not so much anymore. True enough. But definitely, I think we should hear something at least by Monday. We'll talk about January 6th a lot more later on this hour. And we're going to be sitting uh, down with, so to speak, uh, virtually at least Senator Ben Cardin 
coming up in about 10 minutes who will have some thoughts for us on that. It's interesting. Ben Cardin happens to be, as well, chair of the Small Business Committee, and he's one of two senators who I mentioned putting up uh, this this idea, as I read on the terminal, floating a new COVID relief bill for the restaurant industry. It would be billions of dollars, Rick Davis. Is it good politics? You know, I think it's good politics. I mean, I'm not sure it's good policy. Um, And uh, obviously... What's foremost on everybody's mind uh, right now is the current spike in COVID yeah. uh, Omicron. And, and, and so talking about that and offering government assistance is good politics. The, the downside is if this does burn through quickly and we've got a bill going on, you know, two months from now and people are more worried about inflation than they are fighting COVID, uh, this could actually turn out to be a bit of a, mm. a problem for those guys. Well, I ask you that because you've talked about the idea of maybe a broader stimulus that could come up uh, in Congress this year. Is this the type of thing you had in mind or is this too narrow? Yeah, I think it's got to be part of like a big uh, omnibus package that includes, you know, federal spending. Can they get the appropriations done? Probably not. So throw it all into one big package. Uh, Avoid a uh, uh, another continuing resolution that just sets into stone another year of the Trump administration spending priorities. Can't imagine that's something they want. And uh, and so, sure, yeah, they can target certain sectors that are consistently getting hurt, and including, uh, uh, you know, uh, the employment sector, which, although uh, numbers are starting to look better, there are still a lot of people who could use that support. Yeah, we don't have a price tag on it other than tens of billions, uh, Jeannie, but could could you build support for something like this now after what we saw with Build Back Better, for instance? I think you can build support for it. I do think it's something they should be considering, but I also think they have to take lessons. For instance, there's still a lot of questions out there about where the, all the money that went to the airlines, which most of us agree was important, but there's also been questions about how it was used and how, for instance, just over the last few weeks, there's been so many continuing challenges with airlines and right. questions about how they used that money. Did they use it for buyouts? There weren't supposed to be that many. So I think they've got to take some lessons before they move into this kind of spending again. Yeah, boy, I God be with anyone who has tried to navigate the commercial airline industry uh, over the last couple of weeks. If it wasn't the COVID, it was the weather. And that is a whole other issue that we'll be talking about here and have been uh, on Bloomberg Radio. Rick and Jeannie, we'll have them back in a little bit here this hour because we want to turn next to our conversation aforementioned uh, with the senior senator from Maryland. Ben Cardin joins us to talk about the prospect of another stimulus, whether it's for restaurants or other service companies, how big that should be. As well, where he was one year ago on January 6th and how to keep something like that from happening all over again. It's next on Sound On. We'll check markets and traffic for you, too. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 11.30, to Boston, Bloomberg 106.1, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. The new variant is moving so quickly it's creating a labor shortage that a lot of people worried about when we first heard of Omicron. Even though today's December jobs report from ADP was a lot better than expected, well, the data there are already old. And if you run a restaurant, a small service company, you still may be waiting for the relief money you were due last year. 
something that Senator Ben Cardin is proposing we deal with now. We'll talk next with the Democrat from Maryland who chairs the Small Business Committee about that idea and some other issues, including the first anniversary of January 6th. He's up next. Senator Ben Cardin certainly got us talking today, if you've been with us for the hour And he's going to be speaking with us in just a moment. His idea to drum up or craft another COVID relief bill for restaurants and other service businesses that have been feeling the impact of COVID. As millions of workers go back into quarantine, as you know, if you've listened closely enough, I'm one of them. In my case, I'm lucky enough to keep working, though, and that is not always the case with everybody. And we'll be joined in a moment by the senior senator from Maryland who chairs the Small Business Committee. That's why he's up Uh, With this proposal, along with uh, Mississippi Republican Roger Wicker, you can read about that uh, as well on the terminal. And of course, the senator is going to be calling us from an area known as Maryland that is under a state of emergency here. We've got a lot of questions going on now. I just got the email, and I'm across the river in Virginia, just got the email that school, by the way, canceled again tomorrow. This is the snow week in the capital region. If it's not COVID, as I mentioned, it's weather. They finally opened 95 less than 24 hours ago after one of the most epic traffic jams in history. The early talks that we're discussing here, $68 billion uh, is the reported number on the COVID relief bill, but that could change a lot. And you know that if you've seen the recent gyrations with uh, spending bills on Capitol Hill. It would be aimed at the service sector, as mentioned, and a lot of that money, a good chunk, 20 to $30 billion worth, would be previously allocated funding uh, that would be uh, looked at. The other top story that we're following today, of course, is the Federal Reserve. That's where we began the hour with uh, Joe Lavornia, Sarah Bloom Raskin, the leading contender now to be President Biden's pick. Uh, for the top regulatory post at the Fed, the supervisory position, the one that Senator Elizabeth Warren has been talking a lot about. We heard from Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, uh, along with Ben Cardin, who will be with us at some point here. Whitehouse has been very active on the climate issue and speaking from the committee that matters. The banking committee says Bloom Raskin's nomination as the Fed's vice chair for supervision would be, quote, good news, unquote. Sheldon Whitehouse, the progressive kind of reflecting what a lot of other progressives in the Senate, including Elizabeth Warren, may well be thinking right now. The press secretary at the White House, Jen Psaki, not commenting on the Fed nominations. Again, making us wonder when these are going to come out. Tomorrow is January 6th. We're going to talk more about that as well. I'd like to think with Senator Cardin, uh, who is going to be with us a good five minutes ago here. I guess that's not happening, but we can still... Uh, speak with Rick and Jeannie about this because I've been kind of holding on to this one knowing that we would still uh, be spending some time talking about it tomorrow as well but we've got we've got a TikTok on the way things are going to go from the White House tomorrow and from the leaders on Capitol Hill the it's it's the thing that's not happening that was making news today bring Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano back in on the conversation our panel, our Bloomberg Politics contributors, Rick, you probably heard that Donald Trump is is not going to be holding his news briefing or rally or whatever he had going to compete with this prayer vigil that was going to be happening uh, and will be happening on Capitol Hill tomorrow. Uh, did somebody get to him? Did he think there wouldn't be enough news coverage? We heard a lot of reporters were lining up to cover this thing. 
Yeah, it, it sounds like cooler heads uh, did prevail upon the former president. Um, there were reports of some pretty significant lobbying campaigns uh, by his intimates and family members. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think rationally speaking, uh, it, you know, they finally, I think, got through to him and, and he realized that this was going to probably cause more harm to his image than enhance it. Uh, and uh, and they called it off. So we'll see what he actually does. Um, mm -hmm. I can't imagine he will be silent. Um, so what form that comes in uh, is going to be a surprise for tomorrow. But it's no shock to anybody that Donald Trump would probably try to surprise us on January 6th. I guess that's true. Uh, but to see him cancel this event at Mar-a-Lago, uh, Mar Jeannie, uh, were, were you surprised by that? Who got to him? I was surprised, and I think it was a huge relief for Republicans in Congress, many of whom were planning on leaving Washington, D.C., quite frankly, to avoid all the questions that the media were sure to ask in the wake of that. So it sounds like people close to former President Trump were able to tell him and make the case what we heard is that he would be playing into the hands of the media. And so now what we're hearing is he's going to say whatever he was going to say tomorrow, he's going to say it in a <laughs> Beach a, a few date. weeks in Arizona. <laughs> well, so much for the split screen coverage uh, idea. That was uh, what we were bracing for, at least for some cable outlets tomorrow. In terms of uh, what the president is going to be saying and, and kind of what the posture is for Democrats, I think you made the point, Rick, yesterday. There aren't going to be many Republicans in town. You're not going to see a lot of Republicans on, on screen, uh, particularly because of the, uh, the funeral tomorrow, the Isaacson funeral. But uh, I, I wonder what the job is for President Biden. Jen Psaki says he's going to be reminding us of a lot of the, the ideas and feelings we had a year ago. Yeah, I think he's, you know, got a great opportunity to go big, um, talk about the importance of, you know, our institutions and our democracy, um, celebrate uh, the better angels and people, uh, talk about the successes. I, I can't imagine this is a moment where, um, he wants to try to exacerbate the rift that already exists in our country yeah. uh, over um, uh, the elections of 2020 and talk about the future. Uh, it, it is a moment uh, that he cannot talk. He doesn't have to talk about inflation. He doesn't have to talk about COVID uh, that has dogged him for the last few months. And uh, this, is, this is a great moment to, to go big and, and try to show that he can be encompassing of a, a country that looks for guidance on uh, the health of its democracy. If done right, it could be a memorable speech. It could be one of those defining moments, Jeannie. It can be. And I think the president is going to try to walk a line between maintaining his call for, that he's had since the campaign for unity in a, you know, really partisan time and also laying the blame at the feet of the former president and how close we came to losing a democratic institution. We'll be talking about it a lot tomorrow uh, and certainly more with Rick and Jeannie if you stay with us on Bloomberg Sound On. Maybe we'll even talk to Senator Cardin. Stay here. I'm Joe Matthew. We'll check traffic and markets next. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Thank you.
You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for being with us on the fastest hour in politics as we reassemble the panel. Joined, of course, today by Rick and Jeannie, Bloomberg Politics contributors, Jeannie Shan Davis, uh, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. That's more like it. As we heard today from the minority leader uh, in the U.S. Senate, bringing us back to a conversation that will has been kind of an ongoing one about the future of the filibuster. This was something that we were looking forward to talking with Ben Cardin about here because Well, we're back to this idea of a voting rights bill, and there is news. Apparently, Democrats held a Zoom meeting on this. There was a Zoom call among Democrats in the Senate to talk about possible ways forward. And Mitch McConnell has not missed a turn on this. Every time he walks by a microphone, he weighs in on it. This is McConnell speaking earlier today on the floor. It is beyond distasteful for some of our colleagues to ham-fistedly invoke the January 6th anniversary to advance these aims. Washington Democrats have been trying to seize control over elections for years. Suggesting that connecting this to January 6th tomorrow, uh, well, as he said, is distasteful and certainly not good politics through the eyes of the minority leader. Maybe that's because he sees something coming. These two stories collide here, uh, Rick Davis, in a somewhat unfortunate way, and I don't want to force the two together, but this is the conversation on Capitol Hill, does January 6th, does this remembrance tomorrow, is reliving some of these uh, memories that we have, that we had, and hearing the calls, you know, for uh, decertifying the election, does that create any urgency underneath this issue to get a voting rights bill on the floor? You know, I, I don't think it creates any uh, pressure to take a vote. Uh, obviously, uh, Majority Leader Schumer has all the ability that he needs to call that up. So uh, uh, it's not like it's going to add any extra votes uh, to the uh, uh, column of having like Republicans willing to vote for the Voting Rights Act. I, I did think what got lost in some of this was something that is germane to January 6th specifically, and that was McConnell's signal yesterday that he was open to reforming the Electoral Count Act, the act that actually governs the counting of the ballots that was disrupted during the uh, siege and attack on the Capitol mm-hmm. on January 6th. And, and that's something I think that could be a, a wonderful bipartisan outcome to this is that we clean up the legislation that actually enables that act and tighten it up so that there's no more mischief with Congress you know, uh, playing uh, uh, games with which states they're going to certify and which they're not. Yes, right. So I, I, I think there's an upside to some of this, but uh, not necessarily uh, adding any fuel to the effort to pass the Voting Rights Act. Does that um, needle move at all tomorrow, Jeannie? There's going to be a lot of coverage. It's going to be impossible to miss. We're going to be hearing from the president, the leadership, at least in the Democratic Party, uh, on Capitol Hill. It's going to be front burner. People are going to be caught off guard by the way they feel in many cases, I think, with things they see and hear. And I just wonder how that impacts the story. I do think it's going to be an emotional day for everybody. And, you know, I do think that the Democrats are right to raise the issue of voting rights reform. I mean, since January 6th, 
we have seen states move in the opposite direction, and that's problematic. So we do have to figure out how to ensure in a democracy that everyone has a right to vote, and that right to vote is transparent, it's counted, it matters. So all of those things are important, and I think tomorrow's just going to underscore it. The challenge for Democrats is how do you get it over the finish line? And without a filibuster reform or taking a step like Rick is talking about, a potential more modest bill that can draw some Republican support, there's very little they're going to be able to do. And that, I think, is a problem for all of us. I want to hear from Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, not weighing in on voting rights, but on January 6th when asked what the president plans to say when he speaks to the nation tomorrow. Here's Psaki from the briefing room earlier today. Just as you heard him say on January 6th of last year, I would expect that President Biden will lay out the significance of what happened at the Capitol and the singular responsibility President Trump has for the chaos and carnage that we saw. So they're going to be calling out already our Donald Trump here by name, Rick. And, uh, you know, we're we're talking about how this could potentially impact the conversation around voting rights. It's also going to anger uh, a lot of people, just about half the country who think this election was stolen. How much of a risk is that for Joe Biden? You know, uh, you got to pick your friends in Washington, (laughs) and Donald Trump is not one of his friends. And so uh, they're making a clear decision that that, uh, if they're going to go after him as a result of the uh, one-year anniversary of, of the attack on the Capitol, then then they're going to stoke the, the flames of the people who, um, for whatever reason, believe uh, that Donald Trump had some reason to, to declare the elections fraudulent. Um, it's, it's, it's a dwindling supply. I mean, when you look at the, the number uh, coming out of the polling firms these days, the number of people who actually believe in the electoral fraud, it's substantial. I mean, it's, 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 it's just a little bit over a third, but that's, all, that's way down from when Donald Trump left office. So um, mm-hmm. I do think these are one of these things that um, you got to make a calculated decision as to whether you want to stoke it up or whether you want to move right. beyond it. Uh, I would certainly, my own advice to the White House would be move beyond it, right? I mean, it's highly unlikely in my view that Donald Trump's going to be on a ballot next time around. And uh, uh, But I guess they're making the calculation that they want to do everything they can to force him not to run. And maybe this is the way they do it. <laughs> in a statement uh, by Donald J. Trump, as I read in my email, because you're not going to see it on Twitter, Jeannie. He writes, in light of the total bias and dishonesty of the January 6th unselect committee of Democrats, two failed Republicans, and the fake news media, I am canceling the January 6th press conference at Mar-a-Lago on Thursday. Instead, we'll discuss many of those important topics at my rally on Saturday. If he's shrinking in the face of criticism or whatever you know prompted him to cancel this, Jeannie, why not just let him go? Why, why make... Donald Trump a centerpiece in the speech tomorrow. Well, because Donald Trump is in part, largely in part, responsible for what happened. The evidence is more and more clear every day. And besides that, these elections in the midterm is going to be one in the moderate middle with independents and moderates. And most people in that position understand that Donald Trump 
did play a role in this. And so I don't think Biden has to avoid laying the responsibility on the president, not on his supporters, but on the the former president. And I think we're going to hear Joe Biden say that. And also, just from a political standpoint, the thing Democrats want more than anything in 2022 is Donald Trump on every ballot. They want to run against him because Mm -hmm. that's one way in which they won't lose as big as it looks like they may lose in the House and in the Senate. So they want him around and they're going to keep him in the news as much as they can for that reason. And Republicans fleeing Washington and not want to talking, not wanting to talk about this is more evidence of that. They know how damaging this is to their party. Rick, Trump goes on in the statement. It's a long statement, actually. If you kind of need some time, uh, goes on to call out Nancy Pelosi and the Capitol Sergeant at Arms for what he uh, describes as denying requests for the D.C. National Guard or military to be present at the Capitol. Setting the record straight, it seems to me, could be the most important mission here, actually getting the facts out on what happened. Yeah, and that's why we have the January 6th Commission. Um, You know, they are the uh, relatively unimpeachable source of what will be the fact pattern as to what happened that day and who, who bears the responsibility for each and individual act. I mean, we've heard extensively, uh, even this week, from people inside the Trump uh, White House on all these strategies and plans they had to thwart the election. I mean, it's not even like there's any debate as to what happened anymore. It's like who gets who gets blamed and who gets credit for uh, some of these crazy acts. And so I just I, I just think that that's why you create these commissions. You let them draw the attention to it. They have the the capacity to subpoena and learn. We're not going to know what they know until the end. Uh, and uh, and so stirring that pot only uh, creates more pressure on that commission to keep dissing, uh, you know, uh, putting out information so that the press is satisfied that they're hearing the story too. So I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I think there are so many challenges in the country right now, uh, opening up the wound of January 6th uh, and not using the opportunity to really, um, uh, flaunt the fact that we are today a healthy democracy. Um, there aren't uh, active efforts to thwart our uh, our institutions today. Our law enforcement and even some of the industries, the tech industries, are working uh, better with the government to try and uh, go after this kind of hate. And so, um, you know, I just think returning to that trough just uh, uh, is not progressive. Well, there you have it from Rick Davis. Uh, Jeannie, the, the, the former president, calls it the Democrats' great cover-up committee. And he says the media is complicit. What can Nancy Pelosi do? What can members of this committee uh, do, Benny Thompson, uh, Liz Cheney, to maintain credibility as they release their findings? They have to tell the facts, but they also have to tell the story in a compelling way. It's a difficult story for any American and anyone to hear, particularly at this time. I, obviously, we won't hear it, you know, until yeah. probably November in full. But they've got to base their findings on the facts and they've got to put it in a way that is compelling to people to listen to it, you know, not just for this moment and this time, but as we go forward in American history. That's one of the ideas important. floated was uh, prime time hearings, Jeannie. Good idea. I think that is an idea worth considering, and I think it's something that they may do going forward. Well, the select committee competing with American Idol. 
Rick and Jeannie, thanks as always. A great conversation as always with our panel. Jeannie Shansano and Rick Davis here on Bloomberg Sound On. My guess is we're not ready for tomorrow. Seeing the video, hearing the sounds will catch a lot of us off guard. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.